0: So we've been going through the New Testament this year. Uh, We started first week of January, and we'll be going through the whole year. But if if you uh, didn't start when we started, uh, every time we start a new book, it's just a good opportunity to jump on and and start reading. And so we went through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the the stories that tell us of Jesus' miracles and the parables and just his life and uh, the impact that he had on people around him. But today we get into the book of Acts. We read chapter, Acts chapters 2 through 6 last week, and we see the early church. Um, so Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you, you, you see the Gospels, and it's like, okay, well, what next? Well, we could probably call Luke, um, or we could call Acts uh, Luke part 2, or, uh, or second Luke. Uh, Luke wrote the book of Luke, and then he wrote the book of Acts. Uh, but usually we call it either the, the, the Acts of the Apostles or the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's when the Spirit filled the early believers. And so we get to see the early church in its purest form. Like we think, okay, this is what a church should look like. Or that church down the street, man, they do, they do it right. You know, and, and how do we know what we're supposed to be doing? Well, one of the, the best examples would be the, the first church, the, the first period before any, uh before it was political and before there was any corruption. Or maybe there was. Even in the earliest church, the first time we we see the word used for assembly for church in the Book of Acts, there's a problem right after. Kind of kind of makes me think, man, that's disappointing. But it also makes me think we have hope, and yeah, we have problems in our church. Well, so did the first one. So we're going to look then in Acts chapter four and look at what that church uh, what what it looked like. Uh, Acts four, verse thirty one. It says this. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All right, so at this point, the spirits entered into the believers, and they're on the same page. They know what their mission is. They know they have the Spirit, and they know that their goal is to, uh, to spread the good news of Jesus. I mean, the church was pretty small, and then it grew, and then it grew by thousands in a day, uh, and, and later, we see it growing again. A lot of people at once became believers. This was all new news to these people, and so the church grew. This was the mission but the the problem is if we could be on we want to be on that same mission. I mean, all of us on Sunday when we leave it would it would just be great if we you know if we said, "Well, I would love to tell so and so about Jesus and I want to love people the way Jesus did. I want the church to look like the church looked then, but then life happens. You know, then we start, to, we start to worry, and we have stress, and we have relational issues, and we have work issues, and, and there's problems everywhere, and I just want to get to the next Sunday, right? Uh, I mean, these problems can bring us down, and they can knock us off track. So how did they stay on track? Here we go, starting at verse 32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them. They brought money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. That's how they did it. That's how they were able to stay on track on the mission, They counted on each other. They relied on each other. When they had a need, maybe maybe we're a little more concerned with our wants than our needs at times. They were just thinking about their needs and their mission. And when someone had a need, they went to someone else who was a part of the church, who was a part of the family, who was a part of the body. And wouldn't that be a lot easier if we could count on each other to, to get through this life, that's what they did. why don't we, why don't we look like this? Why doesn't the church now look like this? I'm not saying that you know uh, there aren't small groups of it or there aren't some uh, small local congregations that look like this, but in general, I don't I don't think a lot of churches look like this. Well, there, uh, fortunately, there's two examples for us. Uh, just like uh, many of the stories, you see the good and the bad. And Luke uh, helps us, and he gives us a good example of what this could have looked like. And so verse 36, says, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. There's the good example. It's an example of generosity. Uh, I think it was special. It said in the text above, from time to time, someone would do this. And here's one example. So I, I just don't think it probably happened every week. Uh, I don't think it would have been mentioned, Joseph specifically, if if just last week James did the same thing and the week before Peter did the same thing. I think this was a, a special thing that didn't happen all the time. But what I do notice and something that kind of stood out to me when I first read was it said that they didn't claim any possessions as their own. And, and I, I think, well, then why would that have mattered? Why would it, if, if it wasn't mine, then it wasn't mine to sell in the first place. But it says he did sell it, and he gave. So it was a choice. It wasn't communism or socialism. This, this was Joseph or Barnabas making a choice to be generous, and he, and he did so. And then it says he, he gave the money to the apostles. Well, that, that wasn't like a direct gift to the apostles. It was like a, a community benevolence fund, a church benevolence fund. We, we have money set aside to help people. And so when someone has a need to be met, they need shelter or food, medicine, then it's, then it's used for that situation. That's what this was. And so this guy, Barnabas, was very loving. He, he was a Levite, and he was from Cyprus. Levites weren't supposed to own land but, uh, in the area, but maybe he had a field back home, and he said, man, these people are starving, and I've got extra property uh, back home, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell it. and I'm going to give this to, uh, uh, to people who need it. So that's the good example. Now we get to uh, what's going to be the the big part of our story, the not-so-good example. Uh, Chapter 5, verse 1. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has filled your heart so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land. And he asked a couple rhetorical questions here. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? After it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not, just, uh, you have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And so it started out really similar. Barnabas, or Joseph, we'll just stick with Barnabas from now on, until I mess it up next time and say Joseph. But Barnabas sold the land, and he gave the money uh, to the people who were in need. Ananias and his wife Sapphira, they were going to do the same. They said, we're going to sell a piece of property, and we're going to give the money to, uh, to the people who are in need. So same start. Peter reminded Ananias that it was a choice, and, uh, and he could have kept every penny of it if he wanted. But he made the commitment. He made the pledge. He said, this is what we're going to do. And then he was deceiving. This is not a, I don't think this is a message about generosity of who's giving and who's not. It's, there's something bigger here. See, we, we just saw what happened. We saw the early church. and We saw the examples of how it played out. We're going to look at the results. And then I want to come back to why I think it happened and how it could impact us today. So here's what happened. Here's the result. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some, some young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, tell me, is this the price you, you and Ananias got for the land? He probably pointed to it, like, is this the right amount of money? Is this what it was? She said, yes, that is the price. That's pretty big, yeah, death. Now, I, I tried to figure out, I want to know how they died. That's just, I think a lot of us think that way. How did they die? Well, there are some different possibilities. Um, one that I don't see ever was Peter struck them down, um, or the Apostle struck them down. Maybe maybe God struck them down. Maybe the, the Holy Spirit struck them down. Um, or possibly, uh, he, okay, think about Ananias. He he wanted people to love him. He wanted people to see this big gift. and he, he cared. So he obviously really cared what people thought. And then he's called out. Hey, you, you just lied to us. This isn't what you, what you committed. He's not going to be looked at the same way anymore. Maybe the shock of knowing how everyone's going to look at him. Maybe that killed him. Sapphira? She just found out her husband died three hours ago. That was the first time she had heard about it, as far as we know. Maybe it was grief. Maybe it was shock. Maybe she knew she was caught as well in this lie. I don't know for sure how they died, but they died, and there's something to that. See, they attempted to gain credit for a sacrifice they were not willing to make. It was all about themselves. They were fake and being fake kills. Think that's where we get where we come into this. Maybe we won't sell a piece of land and give it, but we can sure be fake. In different situations, just maybe us in the church. Uh, you come into church, you hear what the church values. You're supposed to give 10% of your income. You're supposed to pray every day. You're supposed to read the Bible every day. You're, you're supposed to tell people about Jesus. Your family's supposed to be perfect. Your marriage is supposed to be great. Your, your kids are supposed to uh, be perfect and never make any decision or bad decisions. And when all that doesn't play out the way that we want it to play out or that it's supposed to play out, because it doesn't play out that way, what do we do? We fake it. We pretend like things are great. Yeah, we, we come to church and we act like everything's wonderful. And just like in the story, the more we fake it, the more we die. We become dead inside because all we've done is tried to fake it, tried to please everyone else. My reputation might be really good, but if my character's bad and I can't look at myself in the mirror, I'm dying inside. That's what happens. I'm going to lighten this up just a little bit. I found this uh, this story. Since 1966, about 9 million college freshmen have taken the American Freshman Survey. It asks students to rate how they measure up against their peers. According to the survey, there have been a dramatic there's been a dramatic rise in the number of freshmen who think they are above average for academic ability and self confidence. I'll just we'll just say the teachers are better now. Uh, for instance, while while students think that they're more gifted than their peers at writing objective test scores shows that they have declined over the past few decades. Researchers call this ambition inflation. uh, One of the researchers said, our culture used to encourage modesty and humility and not bragging about yourself. It was considered a bad thing to be seen as conceited or full of yourself. I, I think our culture still values modesty and humility. Some, we say we do but you better put on a show. If you want people to like you, if you want to get the the likes, uh, if you want want to get the attention, you better put on a show. See, when we think we're better and we let people know it, why grow anymore? If I'm already perfect, why am I going to spend time doing the things that the, the Bible tells me to do or the church tells me to do to be more like Jesus because everyone else is telling me that I'm great? Maybe I'm just putting on a good show. Had Ananias and Sapphira, had they been honest, I don't think this would have been the same issue. The story would have been completely different. I think if they would have said, you know, we saw, we saw Barnabas make this amazing commitment to, to sell his own property and, and to give it to people in need. And, and it, was, it just inspired us. And so we wanted to do the same thing. And so we made this commitment in front of, I don't know, in front of the church, in front of the community. We made this commitment to do this, but then we started to think about it. My my kids are going to have to go to college someday. And uh, we forgot we had this debt. And uh, her health's not very good. And what what if we can't take care of our bills later? Maybe we should keep some of this for ourselves. But we'll still give. We'll still give. I think if they would have said that, I think the apostles would have said, okay, we'll walk with you through this. You give what you can give. Maybe later you can give more. But hey, I want to remind you, remember what this early church looked like. I think they would have said, hey, if someone gets sick, we're going to be right there with you. If you get to a point where you have a need, we'll take care of you. That's how they stayed focused on their mission. They knew that they could count on each other. Well, we can't count on each other we start to fake it. We start to lie. We start to live in in fear. And when we pretend too long, when it's all of us, when we come to church and hey, how you doing? I'm everything's perfect. You wouldn't believe it. You had another perfect week. That's like that's like twelve in a row. Nothing ever happens to you. When we start to fake it enough, and the answer is always good, great, perfect. Well then. Why ask? Then we be, we we become a cold, lifeless church when everyone's faking it. And what's the point? Because when I have a real problem, I'm not going to take it to the church because everyone else is perfect there, right? And we become of no use. But it's not just the church. You know, faking it is the way now that you feel loved. That's just the way it is out there. Uh, I found this uh this really nice idea. It says uh, you don't have to pack deal with security lines, or face jet lag in order to show off your vacation pictures on social media. Just fake it. A Nebraska-based business is offering to bolster social media pages with expertly faked photos of the user on vacations they never took. The company, Fake a Vacation... Don't look it up right now. I don't know if it's real or not, but if it is, don't, don't do this. Uh, Fake a Vacation offers packages starting at 19.99 for a service to superimpose the photos of social media user in front of famous landmarks at popular vacation spots, including Las Vegas, the Grand Canyon, Hawaii, Walt Disney World. The company's ad reads, Make your friends envious of where you were and have them thinking of being where you are. Fake Vacation is a perfect meme for bragging to your friends. The package also includes details about the vacation to help make up a good story. The company cited that uh, more than half of millennials have lied about taking vacations for reasons ranging from last-minute cancellations, the high price of travel, and the desire for social media recognition. Can you imagine? Sounds like a, a pretty tough world out there when we have to fake our vacations just to get people to like us author Gad Saad, one of the leading voices exposing the harm and folly of political correctness. He said in in his book, uh, where he explores the current futile practice known as virtue signaling. Virtue signaling. Most often on social media, people express moral outrage just by hashtagging a cause and doing nothing else. Just one example is the hashtag... Bring Back Our Girls, that was used by millions globally because of the kidnapping of Nigerian schoolgirls. The only thing that came out of all the virtue signaling, he said, was the, quote, feeding of one's ego and the social message that they are progressive and a good person. We get so focused sometimes, wanting everyone to know how great we are, maybe we're not doing anything to make the world better. People uh, use the, these hashtags, and uh, there's, uh, there's different movements at different times. And I remember a couple years ago, there was a really big movement, and, and a lot of people supported it, and they changed their, their hashtag and, and put the movement behind it. I'm not going to say it because not, it's not about the movements. Uh, some of them maybe you, you support and maybe some you don't. That doesn't matter. Well, what I'm saying is is people get behind these. When they're popular, when they're trendy, when everyone else has the same frame around their picture of, of oh, I, I care so much about this. And so they change their picture. And I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. Do that, by all means. But then do something else. If it's just so everyone says, oh, look how much he loves the, uh, th- those people going through that issue. Because then a couple years later, there's a new movement and everyone's supporting that. And then did we forget about these people over here who are still suffering? Well, it's not trendy, it's not popular. So why would I support those people? Because this is what's going to get the likes, and this is is what's going to get people to think, man, look how great a person he is. Look how amazing she is. Are we doing it for a show? It's doing absolutely nothing. That's Ananias and Sapphira. That's the story that happened in the early church 2,000 years ago. Hey, everyone, look what we're doing. But you're not. But we're not really doing anything. If we're going to get behind something, then get, get behind it and do something. We can't just talk. There was one more a testimony from a Mexican student who came to study in the U.S. after having re- received many short-term mission trips from American church groups. She said, In Mexico, they wanted to be my friends because they wanted to do missions to me. But when I moved to the United States... No one wanted to be my friend. That kind of hurts a little bit. We say we care about you. We just want people to think we're good people. So we fake it. When we aren't living this way, when we aren't living in a way that God wants us to live, when we aren't actually loving people, when it's all fake, we're just going to keep dying inside. We're going to do nothing. The early church, they loved one another. They did not live in a fear. It just seems like maybe there were examples, like Ananias and Sapphira, but it appears that the majority, they weren't afraid of uh, not belonging or judgment or even uh, providing, getting through the next day. They had each other, but fear sure has a, a way of messing with us. It did them, and it still does to us. Ananias and Sapphira, they were more concerned with what people thought than who they were. And when that happens, we will never be like who God wants us to be. We we say we want to model of Jesus. Do we want to model of Jesus, or do we want people to think we are? That's the problem with faking. If you fake it long enough, you're going to start to believe you don't need to follow Jesus anymore because everyone likes you better. It doesn't work. Ultimately, if I if I start to think that I'm something I'm not, if I start to think I'm better than I actually am. I don't need Jesus if I'm so perfect, if I'm good and great and perfect, and why do I need a savior? What do I need saving from and then it becomes my world, and that always comes crashing down that's that's uh this is a warning uh for uh, against hypocrisy. this is a warning of what it looks like to fake it too long, and maybe you've maybe you've been faking it you know if you have that's okay, it's not good, but it's Start today. Start being real today. Maybe it means confessing something. Maybe it means uh, starting to do something that you saw Jesus did. Not trying to make a show about it. If we want the church to look like this church looked like, then we have to start living like the good examples. We have to start getting real. As as individuals and as a church, if we want to go where we want to go, then we have to get real with who we are now. And then we move towards Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for making us in Your image, uh, letting us know from the very beginning uh, that we have, we have, uh, we have someone to look to. We have an image to to carry, um, but we fail. So I thank you that you sent Jesus uh, to restore that opportunity, uh, one to give us a way. Uh, to love, uh, to uh, to break the status quo of doing uh, doing what everyone else uh, thinks they should do, uh, but to show us what it actually means to love, to sacrifice, and and, and to uh, to look like who you've intended us to look like. I pray that you help us to not be afraid, uh, both today, and and uh, in the in the future, even even a, in a long time from now. Um, mostly, I thank you that you gave us hope uh, that as we live on a mission like the early church did uh, that you would you would guide us and give us wisdom uh, just to make the best decision today as uh, one decision is is hard enough and so i pray that you would help us all you would give us guidance and wisdom and continue to let us know and remind us of the hope and the love that we have uh, through your son in jesus name we pray amen